Good afternoon. Thanks so much for being with us on this Wednesday, May 20th, the second day of phase two. We're not going to go through every single day. Don't worry about that. But yesterday was a really big deal for a lot of people because people were really looking forward to some businesses reopening, whether it was restaurants, barbers and hair salons or uh, some other places. We did see a very slow kind of gradual reopen yesterday, but we thought it would make sense to take a look at how restaurants are doing. So joining me on the line is Mark Van Schelwitz, Vice President for Western Canada with Restaurants Canada. Mark, thanks so much for being with us again. Appreciate it. Pleasure to be here, Jill. Uh, how did things go or what are you hearing? I know we pro- it's probably too early to have uh, specific numbers and such, but anecdotally, are you hearing uh, how things went yesterday? Yeah, anecdotally, hearing that, uh, as you mentioned, it's a little bit slow. You know, we have to slowly but gradually uh, get the confidence of our uh, guests back. So, uh, but, you know, for our members, you know, the message that I'm sure that they want to make sure your listeners are aware of is that health and safety for our staff and guests has always been mission critical in the restaurant industry, uh, just as much so now as before COVID-19. And those restaurants that are open right now, I think the guests can be very assured that they can... Uh, go and have a very uh, enjoyable, reliable, safe dining experience uh, under these new uh, new normal, I guess, uh, uh, restrictions that are in place. So uh, I guess our number one message would be, uh, you know, by all means, those restaurants that are open already, um, uh, come on out and enjoy them once again. And uh, I think you can do so safely and, uh, and reliably. So uh, that would probably be our, our message. And as you probably saw as well, there is not a lot of restaurants that are still opening. There, Many of them are, are planning to reopening, but they want to make sure that they do it right so that they've got those uh, health and safety protocols and their reopening guide finalized, their training done so that when they do open that uh, they can do so safely and uh, ensure that their guests have the confidence to, to come back to their restaurants. And of course, there's another segment of restaurateurs that uh, uh, still have not uh, made the decision whether or not they can uh, reopen and be economically viable. Certainly, the wage subsidy announcement last uh, Friday uh, with the extension of the wage subsidy program will help in that decision-making process, but we're certainly nowhere near uh, to full capacity or even 50% capacity, and a lot of restaurants have yet to reopen, but uh, hopefully more and more will come on board here in the next couple of weeks. Well, and that's got to be a big one to grapple with, is do you reopen at 50% in a way that you're not actually going to be making money, but at least you're open again and your customers are there and you're on that road, or do you stay closed, uh, use the wage subsidy to continue paying staff if you can, and wait it out even longer? Yeah, and I guess that's the big risk that a lot of restaurants are taking. You know, how long are we going to be in this new normal? Can we make 50% uh, uh, capacity a go or roughly 50% with their floor plans? And I think as well, you know, I think listeners have to be aware that opening up a restaurant is not like opening up a retail business. You know, you need cash to restock your, your perishable inventory. And especially in this new thing, it's almost like opening up a new business and, and making sure you have all those protocols and that training in place. So, uh, you know, still, I know a lot of restaurants, you know, our last survey said 70% of them are worrying about their growing debt levels and they've used up their cash reserves to pay vendors, to pay rent. And, and certainly, I think uh, an additional sort of uh, package of solutions have to come to the table from the province for these mostly small businesses to, to stay afloat uh, 
as they ramp up their operations. And we'd certainly love to see some sort of a working capital grant similar to what Saskatchewan introduced to help some of these small restaurants uh, get reopened again. Uh, I want to play a, a quick clip. This is a, a guy uh, named uh, Mitch Forgey. He's the owner of the Redbeard Cafe. It's a cafe in Kamloops. And I just want to play this because I think he touches on a lot of what you just mentioned. As soon as we reopen, you know, and you're reintroducing payroll and you're buying groceries that, you know, you need to sell within a few days because, you know, produce goes bad. With uncertainty on are people going to be rushing back in the door? Are people going to be scared to come back? What are people's tickets going to look like? Are, are they going to be spending a lot or a little bit? A lot of unknowns. Yeah, and I guess uh, depending on who you're talking to out there, Jill, some of our members are much more optimistic. You know, they're crystal ball saying there's some pent-up demand and, and they think that a lot more people will come out. They've been hunkered down for a couple of months now. Whereas others are more concerned that uh, there's still some anxiety out there amongst their guests and, and they're still not as comfortable going to a restaurant. I know many of them have gotten used to takeout and delivery and certainly that's going to become a much more important part of a restaurant sales mix going forward. But uh, certainly the message they'd like to say is those restaurants that are open, please feel confident uh, coming out there and you should have an enjoyable, safe, reliable dining experience again. Well, definitely yesterday and it was uh, a beautiful sunny afternoon in downtown Vancouver and even in just a few blocks on Granville Street I saw two patios where people were very relaxed and enjoying being on the patio there was a lineup to get into the Irish pub so clearly there is uh, at least uh, some section of of the general public that that was waiting for this and is very excited about this no question. I think as time goes on, I think we're going to see more and more people come back to those those on-premise dining uh, establishments. And, uh, you know, because we're an integral part of every community. So we're certainly hoping that uh, uh, all customers are, are ready to get out and enjoy their favorite local restaurants once again. Uh, I know that WorkSafe BC put out the guidelines on the number of people, the size of the groups. Uh, you mentioned as well safety of staff, and of course staff want to keep the customers safe. Do you, is that doable, or those? do you think those details have been worked out as far as making sure nobody comes to work, if, even if they have a, a bit of a sniffle, making sure both staff and uh, clients are safe? Yes, and absolutely. I mean, even before we had the WorkSafe BC guidelines, we've had a rapid recovery guide for our members, which is very comprehensive and very detailed, uh, where people can uh, use those guidelines, combine them with the provincial guidelines, and make sure that they have a really safe uh, reopening plan for their particular establishments. And that's going to look very different depending on the type of restaurant that there is. But uh, certainly keeping our staff safe and making sure that they have the confidence to come back to work because those protocols are in place is an important consideration, as is, uh, you know, the new social distancing. And I think so far what I've heard anecdotally is that uh, the guests as well are are very... um, uh, very good with um, you know understanding that this isn't going to be the normal dining experience they had before. There's you know we have to have service that that uh, uh, doesn't quite um, you know have the same service levels that we had before because we want to make sure we're reducing that uh, contact in in our service levels. But uh, thus far, I think everybody's uh, taking it in stride and uh, uh, the guests are are enjoying themselves and uh, they're just going to have to pour their own water or pour their own glass of wine that's left on the table. So there's going to be a few differences there, but uh, certainly I think uh, from what I've heard yesterday that uh, the guests are certainly enjoying getting out there and enjoying their local restaurants once again. All right, we'll leave it there. Mark, thank you so much for your time. 
My pleasure. Well, as you've been hearing in the news, escalating construction costs have forced the cancellation of a big project in Surrey. The YMCA confirming today that the neighborhood, the Surrey Centre neighborhood project, which was going to have high density housing, a pool and such, is not going to go ahead, partly because costs have ballooned to $75 million. This is the core of the city that we are building um, at a really rapid rate. And we're not putting any amenities into it. It's absolutely, um, it's absolutely sad for this whole entire neighborhood. That is Surrey Councillor Brenda Locke reacting to the news. So let's bring in Anita Huberman, the CEO of the Surrey Board of Trade, to get a little bit more reaction to this. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Uh, this is a story I know a lot of people, uh, Brenda Locke, the councillor in Surrey, says it's devastating to have this big uh, uh, project that was coming to Surrey uh, cancelled. What's your response to hearing the news? Well, the Surrey Board of Trade, you know, we are focused on supporting business, bringing business into the city, and that also means having infrastructure that enhances the livability of our city. So the decision around the YMCA is uh, just a huge disappointment. It really was meant to be a modern uh, community infrastructure of health, fitness, recreation to support our youth, uh, to be a partner uh, with educational institutions. So it's just a huge disappointment. Do you think it is, can we blame this on on COVID-19 and what's happening with this pandemic? When we're talking about a project, a development like this, it was first brought to the table six years ago, costs now climbing up to, I think the number was $75 million. Is it COVID-19 or is there more to this? Well, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. Number one, of course, the pandemic has really hurt local government budgets, including the city of Surrey. And we don't know what the onset of that is going to be at the end of this fiscal year. But I think there's other infrastructure priorities for the city of Surrey that uh, may or could compromise infrastructure like this to happen within the city. And I'm talking about the new public safety infrastructure that Surrey has uh, designated for the city. I mean, there is a huge investment into that. And so now we are not getting this YMCA, uh, you know, right in the heart of city center to really build our downtown core as we position ourselves to be the largest city in British Columbia, to be an opportunity city. And as Premier Horgan says, we are the next downtown core of uh, British Columbia. And we needed this infrastructure. And when we're talking about something like this, this the, the partnership with YMCA, SFU, uh, the city, this was going to have high-density housing, a swimming pool. I know uh, Councillor Locke again said now that community doesn't have uh, that pool in, in the community. How important is it when we're talking about something like that? Uh, I mean, it wasn't ju- just a high-rise or one, one, a one-use building. This had a lot of different parts to it. Yes, and I mean, there's a lot of development already moving uh, within city centre in Surrey, uh, but this was meant to be that piece, uh, that ingredient to ensure that our downtown core was that modern, vibrant, sustainable and complete community uh, for all generations. And so, you know, maybe in the future there's hope, but... um, You know, I think the pandemic has really hurt all of us, not only businesses, but also cities and and other not-for-profit organizations to ensure uh, earlier investment decisions um, 
could could be made. Are you hearing about any other uh, potential projects that could get axed because of this? Not at this time, not specifically. Uh, are you concerned that we could see more? Absolutely, I'm concerned we could see more. I mean, uh, in a couple of months, uh, I think the city of Surrey is going to have another financial update and then again in September and then at the end of the year. I think uh, that the city is going to be compromised in terms of revenue because I'm hearing every day that businesses will not be able to pay their business license fees, their property taxes. Some will, but some won't. And that is going to compromise the city. And, uh, and all cities, actually, uh, within British Columbia. And what are your thoughts on uh, this is clearly bad news for Surrey and people are going to be very upset to, to learn that this project is not going ahead. Uh, in light of this, uh, we're also dealing with phase two with businesses starting to reopen. Does that give you some optimism or what are you seeing there as far as businesses kind of coming back to life in Surrey? Well, businesses, from what I'm hearing, are being very cautious in how they reopen their business. We just only had the WorkSafe BC guidelines released on Friday for phase two of those businesses. But, you know, many businesses were able to be open uh, in phase one of the pandemic. Uh, we were very lucky. We still have a thriving construction and development sector in all of Surrey. Uh, we have the greatest number of manufacturers in, Sur- in British Columbia. Columbia, right here in Surrey. So we have a lot going for us, including a, a vibrant and growing health and technology district that is contributing to this pandemic, contributing uh, to frontline workers. So Surrey has a lot going for it, but we really needed these different types of infrastructure investments to ensure that Surrey remains an opportunity city. What does this do, do you think, for the confidence then of other projects or others that uh, are dealing uh, in a similar situation? They've perhaps seen costs go up. We're now dealing with this pandemic uh, who were maybe on the fence. Uh, Does this, do you think, lower confidence or could lead to others thinking, yeah, maybe we need to uh, pull the plug too? I think it would be a a cautious approach uh, by developers, uh, by other uh, conglomerates uh, that are planning on investing, uh, not only in the city, but also in the province as a result of the pandemic. But, uh, you know, let's not forget, even prior to the pandemic, there were significant economic issues that uh, businesses were facing and, uh, and businesses needed to innovate and reinvent themselves. And uh, unfortunately, you know, some will survive and some will not. But um, I remain confident that Surrey is going to be that opportunity city eventually. Um, But we need these uh, infrastructure pieces to happen eventually as we move out of this pandemic. Uh, The mayor issued a statement saying that the city is committed to providing recreation opportunities to the residents of North Surrey at the existing facilities. Uh, Do you think are you getting the direction, the leadership from council that uh, you think business needs right now? Well, I think, number one, uh, Surrey is still having 1,400 people move into the city a month. And um, I think residents, uh, the business community, they need to have more engagement uh, with council, whether or not uh, they agree with uh, uh, residents uh, or not about the direction of the city. I mean, we are at a tipping point of our city. And we need that leadership, that constant communication and engagement and touch points. 
and uh, and for some reason that is lacking. Um, but I remain hopeful and optimistic. All right, we will leave it there. Anita, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Joe. Well, as we know, in yesterday's announcement from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, we learned that an agreement was reached that will keep the border between Canada and the United States closed to all non-essential travel for at least another month. But there is plenty of speculation that it could be several months before the border is opened up again. What does that mean, though, when we're talking about tourism, especially as we head into the busy summer season? Well, I'm joined now by Nancy Small, a CEO with Tourism Richmond, also co-chair of the Metro Vancouver Tourism and Hospitality Industry Response and Recovery Task Force. Nancy, thanks so much for taking some time with us. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me. Uh, How much of an impact do you think this is going to have or are we bracing for as far as the border remaining closed in what is normally a very busy tourist season? Yeah, the impact is actually, we, we can even go back, I think we're probably in our fifth or sixth months of the impact, frankly. Uh, back uh, in late January, remember, uh, the visitation from Lunar New Year just didn't materialize. And, of course, suspension of summer cruise ships and festivals and events, meetings, conferences, all of this over the last few months has really um, come to the point now where uh, many of our businesses, many of our operators are in survival mode, frankly. And without a summer season um, that would normally Normally, we would uh, we would achieve most of our revenue in terms of uh, that's when the highest number of visitation is. Uh, it's going to be very bleak, frankly. So this is just another uh, another example, I guess, or another situation where, uh, without those international, without those American travelers, um, our industry is really at a, a very dire situation right now. Uh, is there any way of of kind of gauging the difference then on British Columbians or Canadians that would generally leave the country who are now going to be staying at home and if they have to tourism dollars to be spending them at home? Yeah, and you know, a lot of people are talking about that, Jill, and it's a great point. We uh, were definitely uh, pivoting to that to that uh, world of how do we actually now appeal to the next market or, or the market that's going to restart and recover and, and, and move around first. But of course, all of that is still up in the air to a certain degree until we can get to phase three of the of our province's restart plan. And then there's the question around uh, interprovincial travel and what that's going to look like through the summer. So I think there's there's still a lot of questions and. Uh, even with British Columbians moving around and discovering our own amazing province, uh, it will be very difficult, if not impossible, to replace those international dollars and uh, those travelers from uh, from America that typically would come into our province uh, this time of the year. And uh, but you know, certainly as uh, as uh, organizations that are marketing our province. We're certainly going to do what we can to promote and, and to get people moving around this province when it makes sense to do that. So, and when you talk about uh, businesses, tour operators and other businesses that depend on tourism, that's their whole livelihood, then mm-hmm. how are they going to weather this? Like you said, the, the, the stay-at-home travelers aren't going to make up all of the difference. So what do they do? Well, there's there's a number of programs that our provincial and our federal government have announced uh, that have been 
excellent for uh, for the tourism industry and uh, certainly the partnerships that we've seen within the government, the responses that we've seen uh, ha- have uh, have gone a long way. However, there are still many operators that are falling through those cracks who are still unable to access some of the programs. So it's really a matter of working with uh, the governments to make sure they understand where the support is needed and have that constant dialogue, which we've been having, and they're very receptive to, to make sure that everybody understands what the situation is. And, uh, you know, many of the operators, they may not open for the season. They're going to be living off their reserves. And frankly, in a year's time, um, some of them may not come back. So so it really, it really, and, and this impacts, as you can imagine, um, tens of thousands of people across our province, and especially within Metro Vancouver, which uh, which is impacted so greatly by, uh, you know, lack of events and festivals and, and people who come here from all over the world, uh, because we are one of the most desirable destinations in the world. And, and it really is um, challenging. But, uh, you know, as an industry, we're working together and we're working to try to uh, to salvage what we can for uh, for the rest of the year. Uh, you mentioned cruise ships too. One one mm-hmm. part uh, that's that for this season at least isn't happening. How much of a ripple effect does that have, though, when we're talking about restaurants and hotels and other businesses that depend on that? It's massive. Uh, every cruise ship that comes into uh, to Canada place uh, economic impact of about four million dollars, and we're we're talking about uh, an industry that has been extremely successful. Vancouver is an extremely desirable place for them to uh, to start for people to start and end their their trips, and uh, it has huge impact uh, on places like Gastown and other destinations across the province that use that trip as kind of a, a starting point for the rest of their the rest of their uh, adventure within British Columbia. So a uh, huge ripple effect, um, not a good situation. Uh, but, you know, I think as we as we continue down this path of readjusting and pivoting, uh, we're going to have to really think creatively how we can how we can work together to rebuild our visitor economy, frankly. And which do you think tourism companies will be are, are watching more closely? Or is it both the border with the United States or the, the lifting of uh, the ban on international travel? It's a great question, and I think we're looking at all of it. And frankly, um, the ripple effect on uh, airports as well—we have we can't re- we can't forget about that, and uh, and airlines, and what's going to be happening with all of those uh, partners that we have within our industry. And and when when those start coming back, um, and when those early signals show, and the, and the borders do open up, we will be able to see a glimmer of hope. Right now, there, there's no glimmer. We we do see the local traveler, um, probably some pent up demand. They're going to want to get out and about, but we uh, we have to be very careful as to how we do that, and 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 of course adhere to all of the all of the um, the the protocols that uh, that our government will be putting in place. So uh, it's a very slow, um, I would say, a very slow dance <laughs> as we move ahead in the next uh, the next few months. And uh, though that certainly the international and border reopenings will be one of the first signs that we will be um, coming back, but. Uh, Many are saying it's going to take several years to get back to what the record-breaking year of 2019 was in terms of visitation. All right. Well, we will keep watching and seeing what happens there. Nancy Small, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Jill. Anytime. Thanks.